Nice to see some new faces here this morning. Welcome. Some family members have come out. That's wonderful. That's great. Praise God. You love the Lord? Say amen. amen. Those of you who aren't sure, say amen. What a time of worship. Who are we? What do we believe? What do we think? How do we act as a result? This morning's message is entitled, Your Opinion of Jesus. Your opinion. So go with me to Matthew chapter 16, will you? We're going to read a few verses together and we're going to be flipping in and out of that area. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20, and that'll be the base for what we're sharing this morning. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who's he asking? Okay, because we've got some things going on here. So keep in mind the words. He was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? He's referring to himself, okay? And they said, the disciples, some say John the Baptist, listen to this now, he's asking their opinion of what other people think about him. Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? That's a different ballgame. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Leave that there a second. Listen to him, listen to him. This is Peter, big mouth Peter. Uh, amen? Okay, stay with me. You all, you all know Peter, don't you? Yeah, you've been, I know, never mind. Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, which means the Messiah. This is a Jew talking about the Messiah coming, and none of the Jews believe it. The Jews today are still waiting for the Messiah. Are you with me? All right. Peter said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood, Rudy Greco, did not reveal this to you, but my Father, who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, Petra, okay, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or hell, will not overpower it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Oh, man. Can you fit yourself into this picture this morning? He's got 12 disciples. He's asking them some questions. He wants to have some opinions. He wants to know where they're getting these opinions. And we need to be asking ourselves the same questions. Who's taking this poll? Jesus. And who is he asking? In the verse 13, he's asking his disciples. Why? You, you, you know I'm bad with questions. And I dig with my little trowel, my little flower pot trowel. I keep digging and digging. Okay. He's got 12 men that have been with him for three and a half years. They've seen him. They've eaten with him. They've slept in tents. They've been all over. They've seen miracles take place as a result of his touching people. They've seen this. 
Three and a half years. Now he's asking an opinion. Would you not think that if you and I were traveling together for three and a half years and we sat down and, and, and I say, Heather, who do you think I am? I don't want to, I don't want to ask Heather because she'll just keep me here all day long. But wouldn't we have an opinion? Wouldn't, we, wouldn't there be things that we've struggled with or fixed or we helped others and it would never, you'd never forget it. So he's asking his disciples, who do you think I am? Three and a half years, he wants to know what they know about him. He wants to know what they've learned about God. He wants to know what they learned about the ministry, about the people that they've touched in three and a half years of their being with him, traveling all over Israel, ministering to people. And let me tell you something. When those boys came on board, that first few days that they became disciples, they didn't know a thing. You understand that? When you walk into your first day of college, what do you know? Not a whole lot. Hopefully by the time three and a half, four years goes by, you've figured out something. Shouldn't we be doing that with the Lord? In our walk with Him? Should we not be learning some things and taking advantage of what we learn so that we can not only help ourselves, but help others? Well, <laughs> go to verse 14. No, that's, that's Matthew chapter 14. Stay, stay in, uh, we're still in Matthew th uh, 16. Okay, here's what the disciples are responding. They, the disciples, said to him, some say John the Baptist. Stop right there. Don't go any farther. Leave the scripture up right where it is. Leave it alone. John the Baptist is dead. Now, if you'd go to chapter 14, verse 1 and 2, thank you. We'll come back to this. John the Baptist is dead. Guess who killed him? Herod. Do you remember why he killed him? They were at a party, and Salome was dancing. I'm a good dancer. I'm a pretty good, yeah. Salome, and, and Herod said to Salome, you're, you're so beautiful. You did all we love with you. Just ask me for anything, and I'll give it to you. And she says, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter right now. This man, Herod, killed John the Baptist. Okay? At the time, Herod, the Tetrarch, he said, this is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. And that is why miraculous parts, powers are I would be very, very, very frightened if I was Herod, and I believed that that Jesus was John the Baptist come back from the dead. He's going to get me. Because if I kill you and you come back, I'm in trouble. I've already killed you once. How many times can I? Do you understand what's going on in this segment? People have ideas of who Jesus is. And the man who killed John the Baptist thinks he might have come back from the dead and I am in major trouble. Go back to, to chapter 16. John is dead. Herod is worried for his own life. They said, now others, besides John the Baptist, others think you're Elijah the prophet. Well, okay. I like Elijah. He's one of my favorites. I spoke about him last week, did I not? Those of you who were here? Thank you, yeah. A.J. was here. Elijah was considered the power prophet in the Old Testament. The power prophet. It is Elijah who says, we're not going to have rain for three years. 
How would you like somebody to come by and say, we're not going to have rain for three years? And it doesn't rain for three years. So they're looking at Jesus and they're saying, well, some thought you were John the Baptist. Some think you were Elijah. But wait a minute. Elijah never died. Did you, do you remember that? Elijah was taken on a very, very nice heavenly trip in that beautiful limousine. Remember that beautiful limousine? Fire coming out all over it. He took that chariot ride right into heaven and has never faced death. He's not around. Well, he's not John the Baptist. He's not Elijah, the power prophet who took that chariot ride. And then he said, well, you might be Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Plus, there's a problem with those people. And unless you do a little digging, Jesus can't be them and they can't be Jesus because none of them, none of them were born of a virgin. Okay? We need to know why we have an opinion. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. Dan, we're, we're not just, oh, just throw something, anything in front of me and I'll believe it. No, you need to know what you believe and why you believe it. There's confusion all over about what to believe about Jesus. All over, okay? Uh, what does your neighbor think about Jesus? I ask that because guess who your neighbor's looking at, Rick? Looking at you, he's looking at me. And we keep telling our neighbor we love the Lord. So it keeps, you, you see your neighbor doing this every once in a while? Be careful. What do we believe? What do our neighbors see? What do we portray in our lifestyles? The general public does not know who Jesus is. Take a look at what's going on in our country right now, right this minute. Okay? We've got the spirit of Jezebel, which we dealt with last week, flooding our country, trying to kill the church. But Jezebel dies. Somebody say amen. The Jezebel spirit that we've got going on in this country, not just this country alone, but we're the major country, you know that. The Jezebel spirit that's going on in this country is trying to destroy every church, every Christian that it can possibly destroy. And I've got news for the Jezebel spirit. You're dead. You're dead. Because Elijah the prophet said, honey, he called her honey. You're dead. And she died, along with Ahab. What do we know? What does the public know? What, th th their lifestyles are totally, totally confused. They're driven by drugs, immorality. I can't believe what's going on in our country. I cannot believe it. Drugs, immorality, alcohol, that spirit of Jezebel, which I've already meant. And it is all meant to destroy families. I better know what I believe. I better know that my opinion is on solid ground. Not just, oh, Pastor Greco said, that I guess I better believe it. I'm sorry, I'd like you to believe what I say, but you better prove it. You better prove that I'm telling you the truth. Don't take my word for it. You dig. Get your little trowel and begin to dig. Well, uh, in our lifestyles, parents, and I say this with love, in our lifestyles, is our lifestyle confusing our families or helping our families? I grew up in a home that cared for me. My mother gave her heart to the Lord Jesus when I was three. 
My father did not until he was almost dying. So I saw this and I saw that and I saw the struggle here and the struggle there. What are we showing our families in our personal walk with God? What do they see? Because what you're telling and showing your kids, guess what? Your kids are going out to their buddies and going, hey, hey, Anthony. They're letting their friends know what they see in your house. We need to know who Jesus is. We need to know why he is and what he is meant to be in our lives. Let's not confuse our families. I know there's family tragedy in every church. We go through that. But God brings healing. Call on the name of the Lord and he will bring healing into your life. Someone say amen. Amen. Well, verse 16. You're the Christ. That's Peter. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. Can I get you back into, into, into the years that Jesus lived, that first century? Can you imagine walking around Jerusalem and, and I'm pointing at Jason and I'm one of the disciples and I say, oh, by the way, Gary, that's the Messiah. And the rest of you go, what? He's the Son of God. See, the Jews can't handle that. They can't handle that the Messiah is right in front of them. They are refusing to say that that's a possibility. Till this day that stands. Till this day, the nation of Israel is looking for the Messiah. And they're going to see him soon. Very soon. Soon and very soon. We are going to see. I can't sing. I used to be able to. Peter said, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're part of the prophetic, Jesus. Let me show you the prophetic. It's Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, because we don't always put things together. Remember, we're coming out of an Old Testament era into Jesus. This is the New Testament era. He's making his mark on society. His disciples are trying to help, and they're saying, this is the Messiah, this is the Christ, this is the Son of God. Well, listen to what Isaiah said. For a child will be born to us, a child. A son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Wow. There'll be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Jesus, Isaiah says he's coming and Peter's looking at him and he is there trying to put it all together because this is the one that was prophesied about. Let me tell you something. I don't care who sits in the president's chair, vice president's chair. I don't care who they are, what, what, what party. I don't care. I know who sits in the chair. Jesus. He is still on the throne. Do we have sloppy things going on? Yes. Do you think he sees that? Yes. Do you think he's going to deal with it? Yes, he is. And I'm trusting because my opinion of him says that's his job. 
Prophecy says that's his job. Prophecy says the government's going to rest upon his shoulder and he's going to deal with it like it's never been dealt with before and it will last for eternity. You're the Christ, Peter said. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. This coming out of the mouth of the man named Peter who will deny Jesus three times before he's crucified. I want you to remember that because we're going to end up with Peter. I want you to see the lifestyle of Peter and his relationship with God while they're both alive. Peter just said you're the Christ. That's good. Peter knows some things that, that are absolutely real, and it's going to be still that man who denies Jesus three times. Peter, I think if I were Jesus, I'd be saying, Peter, how well do you know me? New hope? How well do we know him? Do we put our trust in him? You got your trust in something else? Nothing wrong with having trust with people. Trust me. I trust you. I think you trust me. But where is our trust? Well, new hope. How well do we know Jesus? If there's confusion in any of our lives about who Jesus is, sort it out. Let the Holy Spirit come into your lives like never before. And I'm not talking about speaking in tongues. I believe in that. You know that. I'm talking about the power and the presence of the third person of the Trinity who lives in me because I accepted Jesus Christ. He lives in you because you accept. Let that power in the presence of the Holy Spirit help you sort out what's going on so that you know what you believe and why you believe it. So that people that you meet every day, people that you work with, people that you touch on a daily basis, they will know why you believe what you believe. Thy will be done. Have you ever talked to God about his will? This is not a joke with me. We've been in Vegas three, three years now. And almost every morning when I wake up, especially now, the first things out of my mouth are, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. I don't want my will done. I got problems with my will. I don't want your will done. You've got problems with your I want the Holy Spirit to cleanse me so thoroughly that the only thing I'm interested in is what God wants in my life. What's your opinion? Well, <laughs> he asked Peter, how do you know all this? Go back to uh, chapter uh, 16, is it? In Matthew. Peter, blessed are you because Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. One of your buddies didn't whisper in your ear. How did you figure this out, Peter? Well, Peter said, oh, easy, God, easy, Jesus. I was watching Fox News one night, and they were saying, Jesus, the Messiah, son. Well, I didn't like Fox. I went to CNN. They're worse. And, no, that, that's not how he learned who Jesus was. That's not how you learn about your salvation. I'm not saying you shouldn't watch religious programs. I'm, you know what I'm talking about. And Jesus said to Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father did. That's how much the Father loves you. 
and me. Peter's a bad guy. He's got his, he's got his faults. Really, he does. But God picked Big Mouth Peter. I love calling him Big Mouth because you'll see before we're through. God looked at Peter and said, mm-hmm, yeah, I know, I know, but I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you. And God revealed to Peter about his son, Jesus. This is my son. This is the Messiah. This is the Christ. Don't you forget it, Peter. And when we sense the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit talking to us, sharing with us, he will give us the revelation that we need. If we let God speak to us, it will change us. It will change our lifestyles. I can't change your lifestyle. I'm not supposed to change your lifestyle. Did you know that? Anthony, did anybody ever tell you that Rudy Greco could change your lifestyle? Hope not. Because I can't. I can't. I've tried to change Gary's lifestyle for three years. It didn't work. (laughs) Do you understand this? We can't change each other. It is the revelation of the Word of God that comes into our lives and kind of hits us on the side, hey, can I talk to you? Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And God starts, one, two, three. And all of a sudden, things start changing in our lives and we look at each other differently and we begin to appreciate each other and the love of Christ just begins to flow through us. It's called revelation. I can't give you revelation, but I can lead you to the revelator. If we let him speak to us, it'll change us. It'll change our lifestyle. New hope, it'll change everything, everything that we need in this church. Everything. If we let God speak to us. There's no confusion in Peter's mind. Verse 18. I also pray that you are Peter upon this rock. I'll build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Well, He's doing something to Peter. There's a name change going on. He's now going into the name change of Simon Barjona, verse 18, from just Peter. Peter meant he was the rock. But now he's doing something different. There's revelation involved between God and Peter. And there's a, a, a name change. Go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. And let's understand this change that God does in our lives. So then, Paul is speaking to the Ephesians. You're no longer strangers and aliens. That's good news. We're not aliens to God. We love him. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and the care of God's household. Next verse. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In whom, Christ Jesus, the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you also are being built together in a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Are we fixed to the solid rock, Christ Jesus? What's your foundation? What are you hanging on to? What's that life rope that you're hanging on to? Is it Jesus Christ? Okay. Are we, he is the solid rock. He is our stability. 
He is everything we need so that we can get up tomorrow and do what he has planned for us to do and do it successfully to bring honor and glory to him. Well, in verse 18, back to Matthew. The original. I say to you that you're Peter, and upon this rock... I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. Verse 19, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever, listen, I'm giving you keys, authority. You can get in the door if you've got a key. Whatever you bind on earth, you're going to step on it because it's wrong. We'll bind it in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, open up the avenues of worship shall be loosed in heaven. Well, what he's saying to Peter is, Peter, I'm going to give you authority. That is critical. God wants to give us the authority to accomplish his will. How do I say this? Because I don't want you to be puffed up, and I certainly don't want to be puffed up at all. We need to be praying about the authority of God. Not my authority over you. No, no, no. The authority that he gives us over the devil, over evil, over things that are rotten, trying to kill us day after day, trying to kill our children day after day. That spirit of Jezebel that is trying to kill us. He's giving us authority that we can handle the garbage that is thrown at us day by day by day. Authority over evil, authority over the devil. Which means maybe we ought to delight ourselves in the Lord. Go to Psalms chapter 1, first, the first six verses. Authority, delight, safety, peace. How blessed is the man who does not walk. Did you read the word not? Who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. There is counsel, there is wicked counsel. It's there. You have to choose. Okay, nor stands in the path of sinners. There are sinners out there that want you on their path. Nor sit at the seat of scoffers. There are people who scoff at you because you believe in Jesus. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree. This this righteous guy, he'll be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Stability. I need to know what's right and wrong. And for that, I need to be in constant touch with the Holy Spirit. People will come into my life and want to do good things for me, thinking I should take their advice, and all of a sudden I'm looking around the back door of what they're trying to do, and it's going to kill me. The righteous man, the righteous woman, the church, 
needs to be planted by the water. That water is going to give you all the strength that you need, and God is going to see to it that you prosper in what you're doing because what you're doing is for Him and not yourself. So you're not being selfish about yourself. It's easy to be selfish. Nobody said amen. I see that. I, I, I see that. But if we delight ourselves in the Lord, new hope, listen to me. We've got things to do for God. And as long as God gives me strength, I'll be here to help you. But that's not going to be forever. Which means we need to be looking for the future, don't we? This old man can't be with you forever. So we need to be starting to look, God, can we, can we get down by that river? Can we, can we drive our roots deep down by the water so that that water is bringing life into us so that we begin to see the things that are righteous and so that we as a church will function whether Greco's here or not? The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We need this stability. I need to close, which means nothing. But I have some questions, serious questions, okay? How do you think Satan felt when God kicked him out of heaven? Anybody ever ask you that question? Remember, Satan was Lucifer. He was the choir director. He was leading all the angels in the worship of the Lord, the Godhead. And suddenly he gets the boot. Jesus said, I saw him like a star falling out of heaven. Isaiah. The Lord knows the way. No, that's all right. Okay. How do you think he felt? Was he happy? Was he, oh, I'm free now. Oh, is he free? Uh-huh. How do you think Satan felt when God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden? See, they both sinned. They both fell, right? Okay, now, Satan was a part of that, and he likes that. Now he's got them, Gary. He's got them. But they're in the garden, and there's a problem with sin being in the garden. Anybody know what the problem is? Come on, think. What's in the garden? Say it loud. The tree of life. We can't let those two sinners get to the tree of life and just start eating those oranges and apples because sin will continue on. So when God kicked them out, how do you think Satan felt? That's strike number two against him. He gets kicked out of heaven, and, and Adam and Eve get kicked out of, of, of the Garden of Eden. We're not going to let them get to that tree of life. How do you think Satan felt when God destroyed the Tower of Babel? I'll bet you nobody has ever asked you that question. You're not digging. Those of you who are in construction or architectural background, can you even begin to fathom what it would take to put two-by-fours together and tie them and however they bound them together and work their way up to heaven. They were going to do that to the best of their ability because they wanted to get in God's face. God said, I'm not going to let you do that. That was another strike against Satan because it failed. God knocked it down. How do you think Satan felt when God spared Noah and his family. The world was a mess. But he looked down at Noah and he saw two righteous people with their sons and their daughters-in-law. And he said, I'm going to use Noah. He's a righteous man. I'm going to destroy the whole earth with water. 
I'm going to destroy it all. But I'm going to hang on to Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. And I'm going to start all over again. I don't want to mess with God. I don't want to mess with him. He's far, far, far much bigger than I am and far, far, far more powerful than I am. He saved Noah and his family. How do you think Satan felt when God picked Abraham and Sarah? Sarah can't have any babies. Abraham's an old man. He can't produce anything. But God brings them together and Isaac is born and God begins the nation of Israel through whom Jesus will come. How do you think Satan felt about that? How do you think the devil felt when Jesus came out of the tomb? Uh Uh-oh, I failed. There he is. He was happy when he went in the tomb. He come out now and the devil's going, oh, he's pulling his hair out. Jesus came out of the tomb. See, in verse 19, which we've already read, Jesus said, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. Okay? Okay. Giving us authority. How do you think Satan feels when he looks at New Hope Church? You people love God. And you people love each other. You know that. I know that for a fact. You're different than a lot of churches I've ever been in. How do you think Satan feels knowing we come together? We worship him. We praise him. We eat together. We sit down together. We pray for one another. We've got each other's back. How do you think the devil feels? He does not like us. But we have been given keys of authority against the devil and all he is trying to do. Well, I've got to, I've got to quit. What's our opinion? Well, go to uh, John chapter 4, my last scripture. Because your opinion... Your opinion affects your lifestyle. John chapter 4 is the uh, passage where Jesus goes to the well in Samaria, wants a drink, and the Samaritan woman comes, and she's been married five times. Do you remember? Okay. She's, everybody in town knows who she is. You've been married five times in a small town like that. Everybody knows who you are. Jesus is there for a drink, asks her for a drink, and they Go through their little conversation, and he finally says, you know, if you knew what living water was, you'd be asking me for a drink, and you'd have this living water for us. She doesn't know who he is. And then he finally, finally, the woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now stop. She's had this discourse with him for quite a bit. They've been sitting at the well. They've been going through the little theological story. He finally says, I'm the guy you're looking for. And she believed him. What does she do now that she believes him? I didn't put the rest of it up. We don't need it. She leaves him, doesn't she? <laughs> Runs back to the village and says, hey, Gary, I got to tell you something. Gary says, stay away from me. Woman, you've been married five times. Everybody knows who she is, Gary. And she goes, no, guy, you got to listen, you got to listen. I spoke to a man who told me everything about myself. He's the Messiah. And everybody's going, Messiah, Messiah. And they follow her back to Jesus. They all got saved 
they, they encouraged Jesus to come to their village and spend a few days, and he did. What is your opinion of Jesus? I said I was going to end with Peter, and I'm going to right now. See, we know that Jesus is Lord. We keep praying, come quickly, Lord. I do. We keep praying for revival. I do. I keep praying for the rapture. I, I, I said this before from this pulpit, but 40 years ago, standing in my church in California, I stood up with big mouth and saying, I fully expect to be alive when the rapture takes place. 40 years ago, I'm still here. Peter, who said, Thou art the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, who denied him three times. And I didn't read the scripture that was in the first part of Matthew 16, but right after that, Jesus says, I've got, I've got to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to, be, I'm going to be killed. And Peter jumps up and says, oh, You're not going to go. I'm not, don't you dare say it. And Jesus said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're trying to stop what I want to do. I didn't read that part, do you? But it's there. This same Peter now, Jesus has died. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Jesus walks into the room and walks right through the wall. Do you remember that? Doubting Thomas is there and he's going, I don't think you're Jesus. And Jesus said, would you like to put your fingers in the holes of my hands? How do you think Peter felt at that moment? I think Peter felt elated. So much so that when Jesus said to the disciples, I want you to go into Jerusalem, Go into the upper room. I want you to stay there till you be endued with power from on high because something is going to happen in your life. And when Peter followed the will of God, he went to Jerusalem along with the other 120 who were there. The, power, the, book, of God, the book of Acts says, God came down. The Holy Spirit came down, filled them, baptized them all, spoke in tongues. And Peter gets up, goes outside and says, I got a thing or two I want to tell you. Get out of the problem that you're in Get your concept of Jesus now because Jesus is here to save you and to keep you from hell and to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And that same Peter, who was a big mouth, found 3,000 people who were willing to follow him that day. What's your opinion of Jesus? You don't even know what the talents are that you have, that God has given you that you've never exercised. What does God want from you? What does he want from me? What are we doing with the talents he gave us that perhaps we don't even recognize we have because we haven't let the Holy Spirit grab us by the hand and say, come on with me. Come on. Uh, stop right here. Stop right here. Yeah. Because you're going to talk to somebody who's going to change your life. Just like that woman at the well. Changed your life. Just like that. What's your opinion? My Bible tells me that Jesus is the Son of God. My Bible tells me he's the Messiah, Jesus. He's everything I need. It doesn't matter what that is. He knows who I am. He knows what I need. He knows what I'm going through. He knows my future. I want my future in his hand. I want his will for my life. That's all I want. And he knows that. Is that what you want? And I know that's a hard decision. It's not a joke. Do you want to put aside your will and sit back and say, okay, God, you lead me. I'll take your hand. Go ahead. Do you want to do that? 
Because until you do that, you're going to be doing your thing. You're going to stumble here and go, well, I tried. But, you know. but when you grab hold of the hand of the Lord and it begins to lead you day by day, you feel the stability, you feel the strength, you feel the love coming down from the presence of God. That is who you want to be with. What's your opinion of Jesus? Can he minister to you? Can he fulfill in your life what needs to be fulfilled? Because you can't fulfill in my life what I need. You can help. God will use you for that. But you can't fulfill in my life what I absolutely need. Only God can. And I can help you along the way, but I can't fulfill God's plan in your life. I can just help you walk with him. What's your opinion? I pray this morning, folks, I know we prayed for each other earlier for, for the needs, and I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. I, I think God wants to deal with us about our needs. I think our opinion needs to change. I think we need to see who he is, Sim. I, I think, really, we need to say, you are Jesus. You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. Wow! And then watch him filter into our lives in such a manner that he cleans us, he spruces us up, he makes us to be what he wants the world to see in us. That's my Jesus. That's my opinion. What's your opinion? Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you that the word is so clear. If we'll dig and dig and dig, we'll find out what you're trying to do in our lives for this church, for our, for our, our personal lives, for our families. We want your will, God. It's the best thing that could ever happen. I pray that that becomes important to every one of us in this room. Your will, no matter what it is, no matter where it is, no matter what we should do, or to whom we should be ministering. Your will. Father, share with us this moment. If there's anyone here that doubts what your will is, we want to just help them. If you feel that you need God to share things with you, I'm here to pray with you. If you just want me to pray with you from here, I will do that. But you need to know what God's will is for your life. Just raise your hand quickly. I'll see it and I'll pray with you before we close and go out and have some fellowship. Anyone else? Anyone else? Yes, dear, I see your hand. Thank you, dear. Take it down. God's will. Anyone else? God's will. His timing for you. Because you're going to affect others. Any, any other hand, I'll pray right now. I'll pray right now. Anyone else? Thank you, Father, for this hand that went up. You see our hearts. You see the heart of this young lady. You know what's going on. You're fully aware of what we deal with every single day. So nothing is a shock to you. Holy Spirit, come and put your arms around us, especially this young lady. Let her feel the warmth of your love like she's never felt it before. I need that. We all need that. Put your arms around us, Holy Spirit, and keep us close to you. As a mother or father would keep a child close to them by holding them and hugging them so that that child knows they're loved and they're safe. Bless us, Lord, as we desire to follow you, desire to serve you. Keep your hand upon us, our family. Keep us safe. Keep us in your wonderful will, I pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said,
Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here.